everybody, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, and this is Debbie coming to you from sunny South Florida. And today is a really fun show. I have Dr. Leslie Austin as my guest, and I want to welcome her from the west coast of Florida. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I always start my show with letting folks know who my guest is. So mm -hmm. could you just tell me, where did you grow up with your, what was your family like? I want to know who you are to figure out why you are who you are today. The whole answer to that is, I no. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I'm a, I'm a Brooklyn girl. And uh, I always say you can take the girl out of Brooklyn, but you cannot take the Brooklyn out of the girl. So I'm a native New Yorker. I lived in New York all my life until 2014 when I moved to Sarasota here on the west coast of Florida. And um, what can I say? I loved growing up in New York. I was always going to Broadway shows from the time I was five or four and uh, had a very active life there. I loved it. So, so music is a part of your life? Music is very important. I think music is probably in my bloodstream and I think in music. <laughs> and I have a sort of a almost a, like, it's as if they're full sound and color movies of all of the great musicals from the time I was like five on. So I, I have very vivid sense memories of all of those shows and I have played uh, instruments. I am a musician. What so I think in music and it's obnoxious because I want to sing to people, but I try not to. <laughs> what instruments did you play as a kid? Uh, when I was a kid, I studied flute formally and learned to read music, but then um, I taught myself some piano, what I call skeleton piano, not reading both. I read both clefts, but I kind of make it up. Okay. And um, I play by ear a lot. And I studied violin in school. So I was a dual musician as a child. And I played bass guitar and I taught myself guitar and played in clubs in Manhattan in my childhood. <laughs> not really, in my 20s. So, yeah, it's been fun. That's really interesting. Uh, I think uh, I always love the term sisters by other misters because I learned how to play the flute as a kid. My mom was born in Brooklyn. One of our guests here was, was from Brooklyn. And Yo. you can't take the New York out, but it, it, it is fun and it's interesting. Yeah. But the musicals, as you bring that up, I'm thinking that they're different today. You know, I love the sound of music and and all of the Broadway songs and all the musicals. And I was, my husband and I are traveling this week home from Dallas and we were watching a show called Afterlife on Netflix. It's the craziest mm -hmm. British show, but in it, it was bringing up all the old seventies music. And I had, uh -huh. I had the headphones on. Uh -huh. I was thinking to myself, be careful not to start singing because the people beside you can hear right. you. They don't have the headphones on, but the music was just so nice. Well, you know, music has changed over the generations. And uh, my dissertation a thousand years ago was on performed music and uh, the interface with electronics. I'm a little bit of a techno geek. And so I was a recording engineer way back when four track was big, <laughs> way back. And um, what's happened over the years as uh, the, the digital technology has affected our lives tremendously. And it's changed our relationships, our ability to be social. I mean, we can talk about that a little bit later. 
Um, and in fact, technology is wonderful it is, as it is, has also made us more isolated. The effect on music is we no longer hear the natural voice just being recorded. We no longer hear acoustic instruments. Everything is electronically mediated and multi-layered and multi-tracked. So what you're hearing, even in those wonderful 70s songs, never actually happened in real time. Those people didn't stand in the studio and perform that all at once. Yeah. And so the energy and the emotion that's transmitted is different because it's manufactured. And somehow our nervous system kind of knows that and it sounds different. Digital does not have the fidelity and the depth that the old analog uh, LPs records did and tapes. I won't go into the technology of why, but that's true. And digital stuff is much harder for our brain to process. So we get tired more easily. As the technologies came in, the kind of music, the melodies, the pace, the rhythm, the kind of production changed. And so the music that all the young kids are hearing today is nothing like what we heard when we were older. And it's not just us being old fogies saying, oh, the good old days. It's actually dramatic, much more different than say, music from the 30s and 40s, our parents' generation was to kids who grew up in the 50s and 60s. There's a dramatic change with digital technology. It's very interesting to me because I have grandchildren that are eight and younger mm -hmm. and they're constantly listening to uh -huh. music and digitals, um, but not, it doesn't calm them down. Like no. music calms me down when I'm writing, I'll turn on classical music and right. no words, nothing, just the music itself too. Right. Because digital technology, the way digital stuff works is it's like a computer samples the sound. It takes a little tiny recording of the sound, thousands of times a second, and it translates it into computer code. So what were you listening to is a lot of one zero, one zero, one zero. It's not a continuous sound like it used to be on records and tape. So your brain has to fill in those thousands of silences a minute. Same thing with digital, with video. That image is never really there on the screen. Your brain is filling it in. Yeah. Whereas film is a whole picture going very quickly with a, a, the illusion of motion. So you're processing it differently. So we are on emotional neurological overload in our society most of the time. And I think it affects our ability to have relationships and to be quiet with ourselves and to basically have good judgment in our lives. We're, our technology has outstripped our neurology, I think. And so we're experiencing all kinds of things in our lives that no other human generation ever did. And the pressures are enormous. And the pace is way beyond what our physiology can handle. That's my story. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I didn't know, I, I didn't know we were gonna go there. That, that, that's I very interesting to me because I'm, I'm exhausted just thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, our emotions are always, I mean, just look at the news. The news is not about the news now. It's about shock value and ratings. Right. that making money. So all you see in the news, 99.99% of the time is what's going wrong, what's bad, what's not good, what's threatening, what's potentially evil, who's doing something rotten to somebody else. You have to understand that that's very demoralizing. Mm -hmm. And it makes us all, I think it makes us all, whether we realize it or not, feel very isolated and struggling just to have a sense of peace and normalcy in our lives. I actually encourage my mother and dad not to watch the news. They're, yeah. they're 87 and 92. And my mom would just get so riled up and then yeah. that would get dad irritated because she's, and she, he, he finally said, turn it off. Don't watch it. Don't listen to it. My husband says, yeah. you know, 99% of it's not true anyway. Uh, it's true. It's true. And, and I used to be on the headline news on CNN with Nancy Grace all the time. I was a regular guest expert on behavior. And I'd be in the green room with, you know, all the CNN stars at the time. And I saw how they put the stories together. And it's not always about the story. It's about how is it going to play? How's well, the audience going to react? Exactly. And I mean, even when we're putting shows together, it's the keywords, it's the, it's the headlines. What's exactly. going to be the grabber to get people to come in? Exactly. Right. And uh, I was talking with a man the other day about, about YouTube videos. And he goes, well, they're not going to watch those because you've got way too much information. You mm -hmm. got to get what, what, what are people Googling? That's what he said. What are they Googling? What? And I'm right. thinking, I don't know, but I know we've got some really important stuff. 
And all that you talked about, though, is leading into what our conversation today is going to be. Exactly. It leads directly into it. Yeah. And and we're creating that, you know, from young young children. So we're going to jump right in because I know we've got I've got some uh, folks that are listening that are either in a relationship with a narcissist. They know one. They they've dealt with one. And I'm I've got to be really transparent here. I'm looking back at my marriage. And I mm-hmm. love Lou. I was married almost 26 years. I love Lou to death, but big, bold, bodacious. You either loved him or hated him. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking a lot of the things that I've listened to that you've said and that other people have said might have categorized his behavior. Right. And I'm thinking too, because I always justified it, that that's who he was. And I, and I think that a lot of it was a mechanism or it was a way for him to cope with what he grew up with, mm-hmm. parents, and how he, I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about this because I, my mom is in the, I can hear her in the background, she's watching the show, she either loved him or hated him, and some people didn't like him, and it was very, it was a difficult position for me to be in, and that's what I want to talk to you about, what sure. position it puts the the other parties into, so this is well, your family. You something interesting, though, you said that's just the way he is, and that's true. That is just the way he is. But it doesn't mean that you have to just uh, surrender and give him full uh, full volition over everything, that you have no will and no ability to respond, but you have to know how to respond when someone has that personality structure. Yeah, well, we'll get into that because when, I mean, he's he passed away 12 years ago. I know the way I dealt with it was I didn't like contention. So I just kind of did my thing, walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that was my way to protect myself. A lot of people would fight back or mm-hmm. they would, they would, well, this is your show, my darling. Um, you, I, I, I watched one of your shows the other day about the difference between uh, narcissism and malignant narcissism. Yeah. So, but also it's just impossible people. So that was one of our headlines today is how do we deal with impossible people? Cause we've got them around us all the time. So what creates an impossible person? Okay. So almost everybody has somebody, an impossible person in their life. And what I mean by that is somebody who always has to win, even in small points in an argument, even when they're wrong, they still have to win. They have to be right. Um, you often end up feeling diminished or less than frustrated, angry, like you're not being heard, like you're not equal, like you just can't win. And uh, it's there's a varying spectrum of people who are just like that, who are okay and they're annoying and you can manage with them, or people who are really very controlling and uh, are really actually very toxic for you. And it's the ones who are the stronger narcissists, the more, what I call the more unbalanced or unhealthy narcissists, that really cause terrible damage in other people. And those are the ones that you really need to know very, very clearly how to respect, I'm sorry, how to react, how to respond to them. There are strategies and ways to do it. And if those don't work, how to get out. Now, everybody has narcissism in them. Narcissism itself is a very badly misused word these days. Everybody throws around, he's a narcissist. They use that word when uh, somebody disagrees with you and you don't like it. You say, oh, he's a narcissist. Well, that's not what it is, okay? A narcissist, and, and you have to have healthy narcissism. It's a sense of self if you want to be a leader. I have to have a balanced, healthy sense of narcissism to sit here and say to your audience, hey, I have some good information to share. Let me guide you. Now, I'm a balanced narcissist. And so with me, you're in safe hands. My whole motivation is to support and help and guide. And I'm a really professional, good listener by nature and by training. So I'm not the kind of narcissist that's going to have to win all the time. Human nature, I will sometimes, of course. The ones who always have to win, who are the bullies, and they can be covert or overt bullies, are actually secretly, desperately insecure. They don't have a sense of themselves and they are trying to be controlling because inside their hearts and minds, they live in utter chaos. Mm. It's a terrible way to live. 
and it's so upsetting. It's actually like a primal survival. They live in, I win or I die, literally, black or white, I win or I die. You're with me or you're against me. You're totally for me or you're going to hurt me. That's the, and it's not a conscious mindset. It's an instinctive mindset. Starts way back in childhood. Yeah. We won't go into that, but um, it's a coping mechanism. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so they're very, very controlling. So they try and control every little interaction. That's where the gaslighting comes in. Now, let me just go back. The difference between narcissists is someone who cannot empathize with you. They experience the world and you only as it affects themselves. So you are only important in the moment when you are making them feel good or they feel you're in alignment with them. If they feel that you're not in alignment with them, you don't matter. What matters is that they have to feel good. That's the root of all those behaviors that so many people who are not unbalanced narcissists don't understand. People say, why does he do that? Why does she behave that way? I don't get it. How can they think that that's okay? And the reason is they're in a completely different state of mind than you are. You're not that narcissist. You don't think that way. And so you fall for a lot of the manipulation. And then on top of it, if it's an extreme narcissist, they start to, the popular phrases, gaslight you. Explain, what's, what's your definition of gaslighting? <clears throat> okay, so gaslighting came from a film. Actually, it was a play originally in England, I think in the 30s, and then a film with Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer. And the, in the plot of the film, the, he was trying to drive her crazy by making her think that she was insane by flicking the gas lamps in the house. And then when she'd say the gas lamps are flicking, he'd say, no, they're not. What's wrong with you? But very convincingly. That's the, the nutshell of it. So gaslighting is when somebody tries to convince you that what they are saying is true, despite everything you know in your own reality, they completely undermine your sense of reality, what you know to be true, and it's devastating to your self-image and your sense of self. So when you say, see this glass? Isn't it a beautiful pink glass? See, it is pink, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, see it's pink? Sure. If you don't think that's pink, no, there's something wrong with you. What do you mean? How can you say that's not pink? I don't get it. Maybe you should go get some help. This is pink. You see, of course it's blue, but even in that silly little exercise, didn't your stomach start to flip a little bit? Well, yeah, because honestly, yeah. this is a little trigger for me too. And for all the women that have been taken scam, gaslighting is paramount. That's why I'm doing that is to show you that yeah. that kind of convincing manipulation is so insidious that it really can undermine your sense of self. And then what happens with many of us when we go that way is we then feel shame that we quote unquote fell for it. And dealing with that shame is crucial. I don't know a single human being who hasn't made mistakes, made misjudgments, quote unquote, fallen for something, had hard times, had a struggle, did some really dumb things, and then later realized they were dumb. Berating yourself and shaming yourself keeps you in that old situation where you're being taken advantage of. The shame, there is nothing useful about shame. There's nothing helpful about it. And so, yeah, you acknowledge that you feel badly and you wish you'd done it differently. And you decide to learn from it and do something different going forward. And you bless yourself that you at least have a perspective that, gosh, I, I kind of wish I hadn't done that. But the kind of narcissism is so compelling. It's almost like you get bewitched and you fall for it. The malignant narcissist enjoys making other people suffer, mm. enjoys hurting other people, enjoys destroying other people, gets a sadistic pleasure out of it. And I use that. It's not an official diagnosis in the DSM, but it's commonly used as a description. And there are um, a number of 
politicians these days and world leaders who fit the profile of malignant narcissists if you look at their language and their behavior. We've got some here, right here in the United States. Uh, Mr. Putin yeah. in Russia shows he, he has no conscience and he enjoys causing harm, suffering, and even death to other people so he can win. So how can, how can that behavior be changed? Not necessarily with, I mean, I'm looking at Putin, for instance, or someone similar to that, it surrounds himself with people that encourage that behavior, maybe, or are afraid mm -hmm. to say something. Right, a lot someone of that powerful has gone, uh, and I'm not talking about politics here, I want to be no, very no, no. just about the but, but Mr. Trump is the ultimate malignant narcissist in his right. psychology and his behavior. And you can see the way he turns on people if they, if they disagree with him. Anybody who disagrees with him, he in public calls them names, he berates them, he says, I don't really know them. You know, they're worthless, they're a sham, it's a witch hunt, it's a hoax. He puts people down. He actually tries to destroy people's careers. That's a personality trait. His uh, niece, Mary Trump, has written about that quite a bit about his psychological profile. Um, so we have that going on. You can't change that behavior when someone has been supported for so long and has gotten to a position of such high power. Now, I do a lot of corporate work. I've worked with CEOs and with senior executives, not exclusively, I work with individuals as well. But one of the areas has been somebody who is um, too good to fire and too hard to keep because they are the narcissist, they're the star performer, but they're the bully and they don't share and they're not part of a team and they keep the clients to themselves, but they make a lot of money for the company and they're abusive to people around them. In our culture until pretty recently, that guy would be supported. So he has no incentive to change his behavior. So if you are with someone like that and you start to see those behaviors, in many cases, you're gonna to have to get out of the relationship. If they are what I call a softer narcissist and or it's a family member and you can't really just walk away or you don't wanna sever ties, there are strategies that you can use to get different responses. You will not change them. It's not about getting them to understand their behavior. They don't, they can't, they won't change. It's a mindset. I win or I die. It's a survival limbic system, amygdala, lizard brain mm -hmm. way of living. It's literally a survival. You can, and I use this word carefully in the good sense, manipulate. You can work your language, your emotions and your responses to get a different response from them. So for example, if you have someone who in your life and you're not ready to walk away or leave and they're pretty narcissistic and you feel like they always have to win, one of the things you can do is when you want something from them, you have to be aware that if you give them a yes or no question, the answer 99% of the time will be no. Or it'll be, yes, but do it my way. Do it this way. And you're not going to be happy. So let's say you want them to agree with you on something or get something approved in a business setting. What you do is you offer them two options. Let's say you have option A or option B. And you go and you say, can you help me think this through, please? That's making them powerful. That's making them feel like they're making the decision. Let's say you favor... A, a little bit more than B. You say, I've got these two options. There's A and you explain it and there's B and you explain it. And you favor B ever so slightly more. The one that you don't want. Just a little bit, sorry, that's my text. <laughs> my phone service just came back. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me put this on stun so it won't bother us. Here we go. Okay. Um, you offer them the two options and you slightly favor the one that you favor less because they will choose the power and they'll choose that. You say, I don't really like B so much. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't really like A so much. I kind of like B a little better. Secretly, you want A. I don't really like A as much. I think I like B. They say, oh no, A is better. So you're setting it up so that 
It's a win for everybody. They think they're making the decision, but you're getting what you need. Believe it or not, it works most of the time. Hmm. And they don't realize what you're doing if you do it skillfully. But you can't manipulate them to harm them. Otherwise, you know better than they are. I'm just thinking that because now we've turned into a manipulative person anyway, but essentially instead of manipulating, we're sort of guiding. (laughs) Right. I would rather use the word strategy than manipulating. Yeah. Really, you're learning a behavioral strategy. Um, when when, When they make a statement that is obviously wrong, you can come back with a sentence like, I can see how you think that, but I see it this way. And the language there, I can see how you think that. In your mind, you're thinking, I could see how you think that. And you are just plain wrong. You know, I can see how you think that because you're dumb or whatever put down you have in your own mind. But you don't say that out loud. What you're saying is, I can see how you think that. And they will hear that as, yes, of course you're right. Remember, they're, they're looking for alignment agreement at all times. Right. So... When someone, let's say you're in an uh, online situation and someone you're getting to know, you're doing online dating or you're building a relationship somehow, or you you meet somebody in a forum or on a Facebook page, and they start to build an online relationship with you, they can be very convincing and very persuasive, but you have to keep your eyes open. Can they tolerate you disagreeing with them? Do they push back? Are they unconditionally approving of you? Do they tell you how wonderful you are all the time? You know that's not real. And that's because somebody's on the internet and they're not there in person and you're not seeing their body language, even on Zoom. You don't know whether I'm wearing nice slacks or a skirt or my pajama bottoms or I have nothing on. You have no idea. You don't know the real me. I happen to be dressed, but you don't I know the real me. I could be sitting here looking perfect on top and shorts are my PJs on the bottom. Listen, all the time, years ago when I was on court TV a lot, when it was very, very popular in the OJ trial and all that, I was on with Nancy Grace uh, and it was a three hour live show. <laughs> National I live love her, show. by the way. I've been on her show a couple of times. She's yeah, yeah. She's a good friend. Um, and and uh, Nancy was sitting there, she looked great from the waist up, and she'd been in torn jeans and her cowboy boots with holes in the soles. And I'd be wearing, you know, blue jeans and sneakers and a nice blouse. You know? <laughs> so you don't know who you're dealing with unless you're in the room with them. In the like Lynn, Lynn Manuel Miranda says in Hamilton, in the room where it happened. Unless you're in the room where it happened with someone, unless you're physically with someone. You have to take everything with a little bit of a hold back, a little bit of um, a wait and see. And you've got to be patient and let time tell you, is this person real or authentic? Because if they are unconditionally approving of you over a long period of time, you know it's not real. You know you're being suckered because sooner or later, somebody has to be in a bad mood. They have to be crabby. They have to disagree with you. They have to argue with you. Otherwise, they're not a real person. And we are so taught to devalue, especially women. We are so taught in our culture. All of our popular music, all of our literature, everything on TV is about. It's so important to be loved. We have to be, somebody has to cherish us so our lives are not complete or we're worthless. You know, if you're a woman, that man will make your life complete. You're not good enough unless you're with someone who appreciates you and loves you. And that's actually very debilitating to our own sense of self. You are whole on your own as a person. And if you can be in a relationship with someone who appreciates you, wonderful. But you're not a failure if you don't. You're not less than, you're not half a person. And our culture makes us think that and the narcissist plays into that directly. There is nothing like an extreme narcissist putting their attention on you at the beginning of a relationship. Hmm. They're charismatic, they're powerful. They will make you feel so incredible. 
is nothing like their attention. It's just like you can't believe how wonderfully they treat you and how fabulous it feels. And their chase is delicious to them. And what they're doing is reeling you in bit by bit by bit. And once they have you under their control and you're smitten and you're vulnerable and you feel like you're in a committed real relationship, which it isn't, then they will start to manipulate you. Yeah, in our world, we call that the amygdala hijack. Yeah, there you go. Yes, okay. I love that phrase. I understand it very well. As you're saying all this, I'm thinking back 10 years ago, and that's exactly it. It's all those Mm -hmm. endorphins of, you know, feeling young again and feeling appreciated after. Oh, God, there's nothing like it. They're so charismatic and wonderful. Yeah. Really, it's extraordinary. And they make you just feel so good. And the equal and opposite is when they start to toy with you because you're no longer interesting because they've won the chase and they go into the next stage, they have to find other levels to win. So they're going to twist your mind and they're going to make you their toy and they're going to constantly be working to make sure that you are 100% in alignment with anything they wish, including when they do things like, I want this thing. I want this specific thing from you. And you twist yourself into a pretzel and give them exactly what they wanted and asked for. And as you do it, and it was very hard for you, maybe you didn't want to do it, you did it anyway, whatever it was, and you finally give them what they asked for. And in that moment, they suddenly turn around and they say, what is that? I didn't want that. And your brain starts to spin around in your head and your stomach flips and you're like, what do you mean you don't want that? You told me you wanted that. No, I didn't. I don't know where you got that from. What's wrong with you? That's the gaslighting. Mm -hmm. It's the manipulating. And they say it so convincingly that really it's very hard for the person who's being manipulated or gaslighted to hold their own reality. I've been coaching um, a friend of mine is sort of like a little sister um, to help her get out of her marriage with a, uh, an unstable, um, emotionally abusive, with potentially physically abusive, although he's never hurt her, husband of a number of years. And he's uh, famous in a certain world. He's known in his profession. Um, and he's a very difficult person and he has so undermined her sense of reality in 12 years of marriage that she can hardly, even though she sees him like taking a knife and stabbing a cardboard box in anger, she can hardly track that it's okay for her to say, don't ever do that again near me. She, She doesn't have that impulse. And Later, when he calms down and says, I'm sorry, she feels she's being mean or cruel if she says, you need to get out now, we're getting divorced. When there are- You're afraid of uh, how you're gonna ruin their reputation. Well, she's not afraid of how she's gonna ruin his reputation. She's afraid of his rage attack. And exactly. And, And how is she gonna survive on her own? Because he's convinced her that he's key to her well-being. And what she's discovered recently is she's been making, he's been making more money than she has, but he hasn't contributed a dime to the marriage in 12 years. Because he was doing his thing and uh, she knows nothing about his money. Now that's her fault. Yeah. And I don't say that blamefully. She no, no, being no. Vulnerable. But there are so many relationships where, and she's finally getting out. And now of course, I've been predicting all along He will do this, he will do this, he will do this. There are two chances here. There are two strategies. He's going to pull this one on you or that one on you. And it's been very helpful to her because she calls me up and says, oh, he did the um, I'm so angry bit. And then she'll call me three hours later and say, oh, he's doing the pathetic. My life is over. I love you so much. How can you do this to me? And neither of those are true. Because in his world, and I actually have compassion for this, in his world, he actually is suffering because he's not winning. Yeah. It's not about her. It's not about the relationship. It's about him 
feeling upset that he's not winning. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that a mind bender? It is. And I'm, and I'm just th- trying to think, you know, we accept this in so many people. And, and I was listening to something that you'd done and then another gal I listened to this morning and society as a whole in the past has, has allowed successful people, men and women, to have those behaviors that are nasty. Because like you said, we've encouraged, encouraged it. not allowed. We've paid for it. We've you know, paid extraordinary salaries to people that are like that, men and women. Again, it's not just men, it's men and women. Sure. Um, Why should, and I'm not, I'm not being um, personally accusing or attacking here. Why should someone who has the behavior patterns of a Johnny Depp or an Amber Heard be paid millions and millions of dollars to act in a movie and then be enabled to show all kinds of destructive behaviors to themselves and other human beings. Most of our major, you know, movie stars, media stars, pop singers, and even now in the last, mm, I don't know how many years, 10 years or so, politicians, very abusive, very abusive. Physically encourage that under the delusion that that makes somebody strong and they're great and they're popular. And again, this is just my little fetish here. I think that's a function of technology when you didn't have television and you didn't reach millions of people just by opening your mouth. And now we have the internet. Well, and everybody's a reporter because they have a telephone. Yeah. You know what? I'm seeing on my screen that the sunlight is hitting my face in an odd. I mean, yeah, it's coming pattern. in. Now. I'm going to just close the blind. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It started little. Um, it's a little weird. Yeah, but it got bigger. There we go. Nope, there it is. It's even bigger now. Uh, it's the shade that you got sunlight yeah. coming in. That's very um, weird. All right. Actually, it was better with the light on. <laughs> okay. Sorry. No, it's, it's interesting because uh, recently in February around Valentine's Day, uh, two shows came out on Netflix. One was Tinder Swindler and mm-hmm. one was Inventing Anna. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen them. No, I have not. But I, I would encourage you in your line of work because it was interesting from my side, looking at the victim from a vit- victim centric side in Tinder Swindler, we had three women that were hoodwinked, you know, Uh pulled into relationships, started online, but then it turned out in person. It was almost like a relationship Ponzi scheme. Is the Anna one about Anna Sorokin? No, that's Inventing Anna. Yeah, okay. Okay, that was the one. And then the other was Tinder Swindler. So in Tinder Swindler, the the victims of it, the women were Mm -hmm. categorized as gold diggers after the fact. And Simon went off saying, well, I didn't do anything. And he's being paid a lot of money to tell his story. In inventing Anna, Anna Sorokin, she comes across being, she was just as bad a, a financial criminal as, totally. was, but she's looked at as being like a little, I've, I say that she was a Robin Hood figure where she stole from the rich and, you know, and now she's being paid a lot of money for that story. And they're yes. common criminals. Yes, absolutely. Explain why though. How is that behavior acceptable? I'm sitting there, of course, I, I know the stories. And I'm thinking, put them in jail. Keep them there, you know? Yeah. It's a lot of people, but it's not well, that as her. Again, you, you know, even 100 years ago, um, well, I guess 100 years ago, we had radio. So let's go um, late 1800s. Sarah Bernhardt, famous actress. She could, or Abraham Lincoln when he was president, he could only be experienced in person. So the number of people he affected at any one given time was the number of people who could physically be present to see him or hear him or her, whoever. Mm-hmm. As we began to have radio and your voice could be heard all over the country at one time, you're impacting so many more people. And the illusion that you are more powerful comes about because you're affecting so many more people, you have greater impact. 
then we get movies and we get television and people experience you as as if you are real in the room with them when you're not but your what you say sways thousands or millions of people and now we have for example you know popular music stars who take a position or actors who take a political position and all kinds of people follow them and do what they say because they're famous, because it's the herd mentality. I was just going to say, it's the herd the fact, mentality. Yeah, the fact that somebody's a great actor doesn't mean that I should necessarily respect their political views. It's yeah. kind of crazy, but oh no, they're important. They're successful. They're famous. We are fame junkies. And we attribute qualities to people who are famous that they don't necessarily deserve. And that to me, again, is a function of our now global instantaneous culture mm -hmm. and because we have the internet we are being asked to respond to things at lightning speed at computer speed whereas in the old days it would take a letter 30 days or something to get across on an ocean liner from europe to the united states there was a time involved between saying something and having it be received mm -hmm. the time the pace matching our neurology was different and we're being asked to respond instantly so when someone comes along and starts flirting with you online for example or even in person and starts sweeping you off your feet we are now trained that we're supposed to respond instantly and there's no uh, value given to stopping pausing considering reflecting we're in a hurry and there's no more grandma saying sleep on it that's right. Yeah, wait it would be a lot better if we slept on most decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And took our time. If somebody is really interested in you, I know I sound like my old grandmother. If somebody's really interested in you, they'll be there if you make them wait a little bit. If they're going to take off and run because you want to go slowly, they're not the person for you. Say that again, because that is so true. If you want to take your time and go slowly to build a relationship and get to know somebody, and they're not willing to do that, if they're in a hurry, they are not the person for you. Because they're not respecting your need to go more slowly. Well, they're we already all, overriding what you need. We all have this FOMO thing, this fear of missing out. Yeah. And <laughs> this, this might be the one, and if I don't grab it now, then there won't be another one. Right. This might be the one. And if it is the one, really, it's a little less romantic in the in the initial stage, but slowly building a relationship and building trust over time and getting to see someone as a real person, a whole person who agrees with you and doesn't agree with you, who has moods, who's not perfect. That's a real person. And that has the potential for a real relationship. Yeah. When you're in a hurry, my, the, the little sister friend I was describing before was swept off her feet and she was worried that she was going to get too old to have a child. She wanted a child. And uh, this man came along and absolutely, totally romanced her, swept her off her feet. And I and several of her friends kept saying, please don't get married so fast. Please get to know him. Please slow down. Oh, no, he's wonderful. He adores me. This she went for it hook, line, and sinker. And she's had a number of years of struggle now because of it and afraid to get out. That's the classic pattern. One of the strongest things, again, is staying in shame about that keeps you in that trapped mentality. You really need to let go of shame. Bless yourself. We all have hard times. Everybody does dumb things. Everybody. Myself included. Everybody does dumb things. How, is we, how can we as friends or parents, when we see this happening, say something? Because I know, I'll go back to my daughter and bless her heart. She got married young. And part of me was like, don't do this. Not yet. Right. And part of me just zipped it. I said, okay, you're an adult. You, I got lots going on in my life. It was after her dad died and after her brother got married real fast. And I'm thinking, I just don't want to deal with another marriage right now, but right. you pull it all together and you let me talk to him and make sure that you finish school. And I, I there were a couple of things that I made sure she got done. Um, right. Well, seven years later, it fell apart. 
Yeah. And then the friends and the brothers and everybody else was saying, well, you know, we saw some things that we didn't like, but none of us said anything. Why are we afraid to say something? Well, because you might lose your person, your loved one, yeah. if they're so enthralled with the, the new the new person. Here's the key. When you want, when you see the warning signs and you want to say something, what you want to do is talk about your concern for the person you love. You don't want to badmouth the person they're seeing. Okay. Because then you're setting up a conflict. Choose him or me. And that's not going to work because if they're all enthralled, they're going to choose him mm-hmm. and it won't be, it won't be good for them. So you don't want to badmouth the other person. What you want to say is, I see certain patterns here. I'm sure for you, he's wonderful. Would you be willing to slow down and make sure? Please don't rush. Why don't you enjoy getting to know him more? Take your time. It can be really delicious. That kind of thing. I'm concerned about too much too fast. And I'm, I, I understand romance. I know it feels great. But also, could you give yourself a little time before you commit further? Enjoy it. But just wait and see. If this is good, it'll last. If this is good, it'll get better. There's, the rush? there's a the rush? And Because the numbers, the statistics are proving those folks wrong with what, I don't know, it's a one out of two, one out of three marriages aren't surviving right now. And and I'm a big proponent. I'm I'm remarried and I am totally in love with my guy and things are great. Uh, but I also realize that, that things can go sour and it's very difficult for people to get out uh, without feeling beat up, hopefully not physically. Yes, it, it is. It's, it's hard for people to get out without feeling beat up or that they failed or that they made a mistake, should have, would have, could have, I should have known. Well, but you had an emotional need to be built up that way that filled you up at the time because you weren't, and this is not blame, this is explanation. Okay. You weren't comfortable enough and secure enough in yourself to be able to go at a reasonable pace. You were so desperate to be approved of and be built up because we have been so demoralized and devalued in our culture. Our values are very distorted. They're not, they're not healthy human relationship values in our culture. And we're exposed to it from the time we're little. And after the fact, though, then now you've made the split. You've gotten brave enough to to make to leave. You're on tenuous ground now because you're afraid of your finances. You're afraid of being able to do things on your own. You want to, but you, right. and then that person comes back and shows control because in a marriage relationship, they might have the finance. They might they might have the the money button on you. You know, where they promise something, but now they're not giving it. Now you're feeling so insecure. What are the steps to, to getting your footing? I'm sorry to say that. Two, two, two steps. In that situation where it's a, a, a legal situation, a divorce or whatever, you need a bulldog lawyer. And you need to have the best majority of the communications, not personally, not directly, but through your lawyer. If it's a legal situation. And because lawyers know how to manage the strategies and they're not emotionally vulnerable like you are. Um, If you're not in a situation where a lawyer's involved or you can afford a lawyer or whatever, you need to, again, use the the coping strategies. Some of these, I have a a free pamphlet that you can download and it's at um, www.lesleyaustin.com forward slash gift. it has some of these principles uh, that I'm talking about. So again, you don't want to say no directly because no is like a red flag to a bull, to a narcissist. So it's hard. This, this is a lot of self-control and people get very annoyed. Like, why do I have to do all the work? Why do I have to do this? Why can't he be normal? And the answer is, well, he's not normal the way you want him to be, whatever normal means. He is the way he is and you're going to have to deal with it. And by the way, there are some women who are this way too. Mm-hmm. Many more men than women, but because they're encouraged to be, you know, the, the star performer in whatever capacity and or, you know, to be Mr. Macho and 
win and dominate. Um, and so that kind of unbalanced narcissism is encouraged more in men than in women. When women show it, they're uh, bitches. You know, they're they're not good. Francis Ford Coppola is the genius director, but Barbara Streisand's a bitch. <laughs> exactly. That, that kind of double standard. Yeah. Um, same thing in, in the in the CEO suites. The women are tough, but the men are, are brilliant. You know, yeah. um, you you really need to not say no directly. It's self mastery. You're not going to change them. It's self mastery. Deal with your emotions, not in their presence. Do not express your emotions if you can help them. Let them say whatever they're going to say, and if you have to, you say, "Uh huh." Let me get back to you. Again, pause. don't respond in the moment. Yeah, take that pause. Offer two options. Negotiate. Offer two options, both of which have to be okay with you. So if they choose the one you really don't want, it's still okay with you. Wow. So it's it, it's not about <laughs> true with anything. It's not about changing the other person. It's about changing the never. way you're dealing with it. The way so you're it's never about changing the other person. I apologize for sucking on something. We've got a lot of pollen here. And a lot of talking. Um. It's never about changing the other person, even in healthy relationships, even when it's not a narcissist. You are not going to be able, I'm going to move again. Okay. Sorry. You are not going to be able to change the other person. It is always about how do you behave? How do you respond? And what kind of a reaction are you going to get? So, for example, in my corporate coaching, I don't tell these guys that they're narcissists and that they're bullies and they got to change their ways because they don't care. Mm. They're making a lot of money. They're winning. They're happy. What I do say is you're getting a lot of flack lately. You're getting a lot of pushback. You're getting a lot of bad PR. You have the control over that. If you get smart and you learn how to behave a little bit differently, you'll train your people to get different responses. They'll help you more. Want to do the coaching? Now, I'm appealing to their narcissism. Right. They want to be better. They want to be, and I say, I'll help you be a bigger, better, smarter king. You've got blinders on. You don't see what you're doing to cause that flack. So I've already spoken to their self-interest. Now, what I'm doing is teaching them to be a little bit more emotionally smart more aware, to notice the impact on the other person of their actions, to choose more strategically what actions to take when their emotions, instead of, you know, I just want to crush that guy because he ticked me off. Mm. What was it that he ticked you off about? What's a better, smarter way to deal with that? Rather than just, you know, making him look bad. So what I'm actually doing is helping, enlightening them making them more self-aware and they start to change their behavior and they become much more successful. Mm -hmm. Now, those people have a, a motivation because somebody bigger and better than they are has said, you need to do this because you're getting in trouble. And I'm always positioned as support, not remediation. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're failing. It's that they're so good that their company wants them to be even better. They're so good that they've got a couple of uneven spots in their skill. But in that, partic in that particular case, if they don't recognize what's going on and don't make the changes, they might get let go. And then it, now it's blame, yeah. right? Now it's everybody else's fault. Well, yeah, they can say it's everybody else's fault. But usually in the industries that they're in, um, if they crash and burn, they're not going to get another good job. Okay they're very well known or, or they're prominent in their business or whatever the cost is too high to not learn and once they start getting wins for positive behavior they're almost unstoppable interesting and they become really fun and really smart but those people have a, a motivation they know they're about to crash and burn they don't know what to do about it they know they're getting in trouble they may be because of their behavior they may be on the edge of a walking you know walking on the edge of a lawsuit and their, their boss or their CEO is saying, you got to straighten up and fly right or we can't keep you. That's really serious. And in the, personal relationships, you often don't have that leverage. True, but you have to learn, and this is where the whole woman behind the smile comes out. It's time to now recognize that 
we don't have to take that behavior. We can let someone else know, tell someone else to get some support so that we know we're not alone. We don't have to, we can't go against them by ourselves because we won't, we won't win. So I'm going to nitpick with your language. You don't ever want to go against them because you will lose everything. Well, I shouldn't say everything. 98% of what you will find on YouTube about how to be with narcissists or how to deal with them will get you more abused. It will get you crushed. It will not work. And I'm a licensed psychotherapist. I don't do therapy anymore. I do coaching. So many of the famous therapists out there, the YouTube pop stars, who talk about how to deal with narcissists, are talking from a psychological, intellectual perspective, but an actual reality. If you do the things they tell you to do, to stand up, to challenge, to tell narcissists their behavior is bad, you will be bested every time. Mm. Because you are not that narcissist. You don't behave that way. Your mind doesn't work that way and theirs does. And so you're on their territory. They will get you. You have to know other strategies. Number one, and these may be hard to deal with. Do not take what they say to you personally, ever. It is always about them. It is never about you. No matter how personal an insult is, it is always about them. If they are insulting you and upsetting you, it's because they want you to be off center and off balance because then they feel in control. So a strongly narcissistic person will, will almost always want to keep the other person off guard, off balance, upset, confused, discombobulated in some way. And if you're feeling peaceful and fine and strong and powerful, they'll find a way to kind of try and shake you up and confuse you. That gives them the sense that they're in control. Mm -hmm. If you're not really quiet and assembled and powerful, they feel more powerful. Not about you, ever. It's always about them in one way or another. So you can start thinking if you have the composure to do it. When they tell you that insult, what are they really saying? What they're saying is you're not giving them what they want. And they're like a little five-year-old. They're angry. They're frustrated. They're spiteful. They want to have a tantrum. Now, when it's someone who can really hurt you financially or emotionally, you need to be very careful. And you do need to get away. And getting away, you don't want to tell the truth of why you're leaving in an oppositional way. You don't say, you are so horrible, I have to get away from you because then they're gonna go after you even more. What you say is, I need to leave. And I'm not even above occasionally as a strategy, and I know this is a little controversial, I'm not above a little white lie occasionally. Like, I'm not feeling that I'm bringing enough to this relationship. I need to leave. You should have someone who can give you more of what you want. That's a true statement. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not necessary. You're not saying it from your heart as a benign person. Oh, you're so great. You should have everything and I'm a piece of dirt. You're not saying that. Yeah. In your, in your feelings, you're saying, yeah, you, you, you should have somebody else because you're really... You're horrible and I need to get away from you, you know, but they will hear it as you saying, I'm really not good enough for you. And you have to be a little careful because if you say that, they may then turn on the charm and try and convince you just to keep you under their thumb. Oh, of course, you're wonderful. I adore you. You make me so happy. Uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's silly. You're everything I need. You're wonderful. I adore you. And then when you let your guard down, you say, well, he's being so nice, he's being so kind. Maybe it's okay. Maybe he's changed. And as soon as you relax and um, let down your guard, he'll go back to the other controlling behavior. Yeah, I talked to women about domestic violence, and that's exactly what happens. Yeah, as soon as they apologize. Oh, it's okay. He won't do it again. I I trust him. I believe him. No, he'll do it again. They don't change. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. And both sides of the cycle are different forms of control. 
the pathetic, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know what came over me. I'm suffering. I'm so upset. I'm so hurt. I'm having such a hard time. I should never have done that. That's a manipulation. There is some truth in what they say, but if they really meant it, they would get help and they'd stop doing it. Just like someone with a serious alcohol or drug problem. At some point, I believe the soul knows that you need to do something different. Yeah. And you take responsibility for yourself. And I'm not condemning, you know, people with addiction problems. They're terrible to deal with. But ultimately, at some point, you realize you're addicted and it's you or the drug, or you or the alcohol, or you or the narcissist. Mm. And it can be an emotional addiction. Yeah, it's... There's so much to this, Leslie. I really, I, oh my gosh, my brain has just been going uh, thinking of so many different people that I've either part of the family or that I've worked with. Um, And it, it's just, it's a hard situation to be in, especially when you're, you know, presumably the victim or the survivor of this to not take it personally and think that it was because of you. It, you know, you're, you're not enough or I, I didn't do everything. And then that turns into the whole blame game. And then the worst part for me was the victim blame when other people will say, yeah, that was really whatever of you, you shouldn't have done that. Well, we've got to get past that. And, and what is someone was writing here say, when we have a disagreement say, I don't feel like you are understanding me. We have to agree to disagree. Right. And if you can't live with it, here's the door. Ultimately, the bottom, well, yeah, that's true. Ultimately, if you can't live with it and you can't have some give and take and compromise and you can't be recognized as a whole valid person who has a truth of your own. Yeah. Yeah, you do have to leave. Yeah. And we have to value ourselves. And that's the hard part. I think I'm not going to say this is just women because I, I know men too, but to value ourselves as having everything we need as being kind, considerate, you know, I don't understand the, the, narcissist i don't understand the guys that are the scammers uh, you know the their their brains are so different than than wired differently than mine and i don't understand uh how they can do it even though they understand that the damage they're doing emotionally financially sometimes physically to people well, i'll um, tell you how they do it i'll tell you why and how they do it they are what in in um older uh, diagnostic language they they are sociopathic and sociopathic means that for a number of reasons. They are unable to connect authentically or to empathize with anybody else's experience. So they, and narcissists are along this spectrum. So um, not all the scammers are narcissists. No. But they are manipulators and they don't care that they're hurting someone because they're not wired that way. They are, all they care about is themselves being smarter than manipulating someone. They're not seeing the person they're manipulating as a real human being with value like them. You are an object. You're an anonymous person. You don't matter. And they don't have the emotional capacity to connect authentically and empathize and realize that they're hurting you. Otherwise they wouldn't do it. So many of us, not necessarily people that have been scammed in a relationship, fraud, but in relationships in general, have had someone in their life and have someone right now that is uh, of this behavior of narcissistic. And, and so many of us are just afraid or have been afraid to say anything because we don't want contention or we don't want physical. Here's the most important thing. If I leave your um, audience with one really important idea, it is this. There is nothing wrong with you that you're in this relationship. You are not stupid, bad, defective, wrong, dumb. Your biggest crime or failing, the worst thing you ever did was not to love and trust yourself enough as a valuable, good human being. And most likely you have been conditioned and influenced from birth on by either family or culture or whatever. And I'm not saying this a blameful way. I'm just saying this description. Women especially have been trained to devalue ourselves. We still have a glass ceiling. Most famous women performers make it on their sex appeal. To whom? To men. Mm. 
most powerful women politicians get a lot of flack because they're tough. A lot of women in corporate America try to be like the men. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. You can be a powerful woman executive as a woman. It's a different way of being. And I've worked with several of them. And they have a whole different way of being. And it's just as powerful because the men don't quite know what to do because they can't manipulate you. But you are in your own authentic self. So the one most important thing anybody listening to us today can remember is what he says, what she says, what that other person who's the impossible person that you can't win with says or does is their stuff. It's about them. It's a projection. It's a manipulation. Do you believe it to be true about you or are you considering it because they said it to you and they matter to you? And if they continue to devalue you and tear you down, that's not a relationship that's healthy to stay in. And although it can be a very big challenge to get out of those relationships and manage your money and manage your life and very stressful, in the long run, you are better off. No matter what, you are better off because you've claimed your life back. You've gotten you back and your soul is your own again. There you go. Absolutely. And as my friend Mel Mason says, the outside of it, the outside is a mirror of the inside. Absolutely. And, uh, and we don't need to reflect theirs. So it's an incredible, it's an incredible topic. And I so appreciate your time, Dr. Leslie, folks can get your, your gift at www.lesliaustin.com forward slash gift. There you go. And I will put that on the replay and uh, encourage people to do that. And that's how folks get a hold of you. How, how do they contact you if they want to? Leslie at LeslieAustin.com. There we go. Perfect, Leslie. Thank and you. I'm happy happy to, if, if any of your um, audience wants to talk and know a little more, I'm happy to talk to people. Perfect. Thank you so much for being my guest. We will be in touch. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. And bless your audience. Thank you, dear. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfoteaming products at BenfoComplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day. 